Hello and welcome to KUAR's Week in Review, the podcast that looks back at the week that was in Arkansas news and politics. Coming up. A decisive vote on a Republican-led Obamacare repeal comes up short. Why Arkansas senators voted for the failed measure amidst evidence that state public opinion may not be quite on their side. As President Trump takes aim at transgender people in the military, we have a look at why people who are transitioning have a challenging time getting health care in Arkansas. A time of upheaval in agriculture. Arkansas farmers file a lawsuit against big agribusiness over the herbicide Dicamba. We talk to a weed scientist who says the chemical has damaged more than two and a half million acres in the United States. Keeping Anna Lee company, the famed Arkansas Delta native and rock and roll drummer Levon Helm, Get some love through a childhood home restoration and a new bust. That's all coming up from the week that was. I'm Jacob Kaufman. I'm Chris Hickey. Big news this week again centers around health care, the Republican Senate plan to repeal and or replace the Affordable Care Act. Took what seemed to be a final blow in the early morning hours uh, Friday as U.S. Senator John McCain, who's back in Washington after a brain cancer diagnosis, cast a deciding vote against a so-called skinny repeal of the Affordable Care Act. He joined Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski and Maine Senator Susan Collins as the only Republicans to vote against this measure, along with all the Senate's Democrats. Jacob, before we get into the decisions by our own U.S. Senators, John Bozeman and Tom Cotton, to join in this uh, failed repeal vote, take us back a little. How did we get to this point with the Senate deciding on a skinny repeal, and what exactly is a skinny repeal? Sure. It all seems like ages ago. We can harken back to the last podcast, the one before that. <laughs> yeah. It's been a little bit now, a few weeks since the Republicans first really started to uh, try to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Of course, Donald Trump said it would have been done by now when he, when he first came into office. The House had passed a bill about a month or so ago, a House-backed version, so they got their act together, so to speak, and having some type of repeal and replace plan. Estimates range from over 20 million people, though, would lose insurance on that plan. The Senate, they crafted their bill. Tom Cotton was one of 13 white male Republicans who helped craft this bill to uh, repeal and replace much of the Affordable Care Act. Congressional Budget Office said that that bill would have over 20 million people lose their insurance, too. Big cuts to Medicaid, so much so that Governor Asa Hutchinson held a press conference several weeks back saying this change needs to be made, this change needs to be made, this change and this change needs to be made in order for this to not blow a $500 million hole in my budget every year and kick a couple hundred thousand people off of insurance. Yeah. But he said it was a good start or he something. He says it's very polite and courteous to his fellow Republicans, John Bozeman and Tom Cotton. So... Uh, after a series of uh, where it was clearly that Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell didn't have enough votes, we heard some very secret mumblings from Senator Cotton saying basically that he was real ticked off at Republicans who weren't voting for it now. The number of moderate Republicans feared the imminent loss of insurance for hundreds of thousands of their constituents by the ending of Medicaid expansion and other various federal subsidies. Finally, we got Senator Cotton and Bozeman talking very limitedly anyway, saying that they do indeed support this. Several versions of the bill, there was enough votes, all Republicans voted to allow debate to begin on a repeal without a clear plan of what they were debating exactly. Mike Pence broke the tie for that. In the end, Senator Cotton and Bozeman both voted 
for the failed measure that was called the skinny bill that would have ended the individual mandate and the employer mandate. Among other things, about 16 million people are said would have lost their insurance by 2018 with that. There's another bill that was a light repeal and replace. They both voted for that. And there was a version that was repeal and replace, which is the bill Senator Cotton originally worked on. And he voted no on that. And Bozeman (laughs) voted yes. And as you mentioned, the two senators, Bozeman and Cotton, regularly avoided the media or local media anyways on this question of health care and their support. But we can pretty much assume that part of their position derives from the fact that this is really a political position to be in because for the past three election cycles, all Republicans in the U.S. Congress and Arkansas's mm-hmm. congressional delegation, even on the state and local level, have been campaigning against the Affordable Care Act. That was kind of Tom Cotton's uh, statement after the uh, first big attempt failed. He said that we've been campaigning on this. It's incumbent on us to lead and to deliver on this. He's not up for re-election in 2018. Neither is John Bozeman. Last week's podcast, we had a little bit of an interview from Heather Yates that basically said it probably won't reflect too negatively on them, particularly in Arkansas, since they enjoy massive support. But uh, there was a poll by Talk Business and Politics recently that showed a little bit of doubt. Mm-hmm. saying, I don't, you might have the numbers in front of you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, on the question, uh, Senate Republicans have discussed a plan to repeal the Affordable Care Act now and replace it two years later with a yet-to-be-determined plan. Do you support or oppose this? 30% said they supported that. 52% said they opposed it. And 18% said they didn't know. And on the question, should the federal health care plan retain money for Medicaid expansion as used in Arkansas Works, formerly called the private option, 36% said yes, 20% said no, 44% said they don't know. And that was a poll of about 500 voters conducted by Talk Business. They also asked a range of other questions on political matters here in the state, including job approval ratings for um, President Trump. So meanwhile, though, several Arkansans, many Arkansans, probably dozens, have traveled to D.C. over the last few weeks protesting the repeal effort. Some have gotten arrested by Capitol Police. Certainly Medicaid expansion has been a pretty big point of contention. So is coverage for pre-existing conditions, other benefits linked to the ACA. What's been the, I guess, key message of these vocal folks who've been protesting the repeal? And also, what has been the message from the eventual challengers to some of the contested congressional seats in the upcoming election? So the message has been pretty consistent. Yeah, there have been groups and groups of scores of people going to offices in Little Rock and throughout the state and in Washington, D.C. I think about 20 Arkansans have been arrested protesting this. The main focus has been, and this wasn't in the skinny bill, notably, but it was in the other ones, where there would be big changes to Medicaid, including drastically reducing the percentage of funds that the federal government would give states to help cover Medicaid, leading, of course, to people losing their insurance in the states. Other options would have completely ended the Medicaid expansion program, which is part of the Affordable Care Act that made more people basically eligible for Medicaid. You could be a little bit richer of a very poor person and still get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, 300,000 people or so have been on Medicaid expansion during most months in Arkansas. 700,000 plus are on Medicaid as it is. So that's been a lot of the message that you're really going to kick a lot of people off of this. And premiums won't go down because they didn't really have a good cost control mechanism. Here's one of the arguments, though. Uh, You mentioned some of the candidates. For those that are running in 2018, the U.S. House members, there are challengers both within the Republican Party questioning these votes 
and on the Democratic Party. I spoke with Joshua Mahoney in the 3rd District running against Steve Womack. But here's a, a little bit from Paul Spencer. He's running in the 2nd District against Republican incumbent French Hill, who supported the plan that would have caused 20 million or so people to lose their insurance, including ending Medicaid expansion. Spencer said basically what everybody kind of noticed, that the Republicans didn't really have any kind of game plan. The stakes are, are really high because we're not just talking about whether we're going to improve on the ACA. We're talking about taking several giant leaps backwards throwing millions of people off of any kind of insurance. Then we're at, a mercy, we're at the mercy of the, the guys in the back room at the Congress. You know, whatever they can hatch up, that's what they're going to give to the American people. So they're working on this thing, but we're the ones that don't have a safety net. And to that point, a little bit, John McCain and his, I guess, now famous or something, I don't know, his, <laughs> and his remarks that he gave. This vote was 51 to 49. It happened at like 1.30 in the morning, this final vote that failed that Bozeman and Cotton had supported. John McCain voted no, along with, you mentioned Murkowski and Susan Collins, and he said something like, we need to go back to regular order where if you want a bill to pass, you send it to a committee. The people in the committee from both parties get to make amendments and decide it, and that's how it passes out of the committee. So that's clearly not an approach that is the preferred one by Bozeman or Cotton, or they would have tried to take it. Yeah, and I guess the comments by McCain have signaled a growing chorus of even a lot of Republicans saying there needs to be more of a bipartisan approach to uh, reforming health care. And the governor said that last week as well. Let me yeah. just say one more thing, though, about Paul Spencer and the opponents. What is kind of strange, whether it's Paul Spencer, Joshua Mahoney, or Rob Ryers, or Ryersay, is maybe how you pronounce it, up in northwest Arkansas, they all like the idea, generally, of universal coverage of some kind, like Medicare for all or public option. That's something we didn't hear too many people talking about before, but that's something they seem kind of unified in. That's the main difference, though, if you want to look at the 2018 candidates. You have people like French Hill who are running in the second district who want to pass something that will end Medicaid expansion out of the principle that these people don't deserve free insurance from the government. They should be working or oftentimes they are working, but they should be working in a better job that provides health insurance or ones that allows them to, to pay for it. Or it's about curtailing costs. But for uh, Paul Spencer or the Democrats running against him, they'll probably be saying something like, my goal with health care reform is that people get covered, that everyone gets health insurance. And that's not something you necessarily hear so explicitly from the other side. Well, another big story that came out of Washington this week was the apparent out of nowhere tweets by our president, Donald Trump, who, of course, takes to Twitter quite often with surprising announcements. This one was that he was banning all transgender people from serving in the military. This would have been a reversal of an Obama era policy to allow transgender people in the military. Secretary of Defense James Mattis had said he would be reviewing the policy, but not contingent upon any, you know, eventual outcome. This kind of cast a wide net of confusion over the American public. It seemed as though President Trump did not issue an executive order to this extent. There are members of the Joint Chiefs of Staff who said they had not been given any directives regarding the ban on transgender people in the military. There was a political article this week that suggested that maybe one of the reasons that Trump decided to 
send out these tweets is because his budget bill or a budget bill in the Republican Congress, uh, which maybe included um, money for a border wall with Mexico, had been held up because some House Republicans took issue with uh, funding for gender reassignment surgery for members of the military. But Trump seemingly took that a step further in announcing a wholesale ban, but we don't know if it's exactly a ban yet or whatever is going on. Now, in Arkansas, we just had a intern, Raul Hernandez, do a story about how transgender people here kind of difficulties accessing health care in their transition. And I was going to play a, a short clip from his report that aired Friday morning during Morning Edition. And then uh, we're going to pick up the discussion with some uh, comments about the state of policy in regards to transgender people in the state. Cash Ashley is the 32-year-old restaurant manager living in Little Rock. Born female, he began to question his gender identity in his early 20s. I think I was about 22 when I, like I was dating someone at the time, and I was like, hey, so I would actually like to be called he, I think. And so that was kind of where it started, and that was like the language that I used to start it with. Or, or I think I maybe even started with like, I don't want to be called she, you know, like, um, just maybe a lack of pronouns, and that led to, you know, preferring to be called he. And then very soon after that, I was like, okay, like, I am a trans person. Since then, Cash began hormone therapy and is considering a mastectomy to have his breasts removed. But he isn't sure when or where he wants to get this procedure done. He says that due to a lack of medical knowledge and experience, sexual reassignment surgery, also called SRS, and even basic health care for trans people in Arkansas often comes with obstacles that aren't always easy to overcome. Doctors are becoming more aware of this population of people who need access to care. And it, it's hard to like go into a physician's office and be like, especially if they don't really know anything about it, or if you don't know if they know anything about it, and be like, hey, so I'm trans, you know, because some doctors just don't know about that or, or hadn't had experience with it before or think it's like a, a malady, think it's a bad thing or like a, a mental disorder versus just something that exists. So that was a clip from Raul Hernandez's story on Cash Ashley, a transgender individual here in the state. Jacob, we've seen a number of state policies here affecting transgender people. Of course, there was a bathroom bill proposed in the legislature last year. The Hutchinson administration pushed back on an Obama-era rule that specified that school districts should allow transgender students to use the bathroom in accordance with their gender identity. I guess, what is the state of politics and policy in regards to transgender people here in Arkansas? Well, it seems like pretty much if you're transgender or any sexuality or gender preference that your employer or housing doesn't appreciate, you don't really have any rights in, our, in Arkansas. You can be fired for your sexuality or gender identity. You can be denied housing and the like. So that's the law in Arkansas. And of course, the legislature has made it harder for cities to provide their own protections that aren't necessarily based from the state legislature. So they've made it hard. In Arkansas, the situation isn't really changed too much. Unless you're a military member, then you'd be pretty worried about what Donald Trump just said. But the uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff, you know, they said that they have not received anything like a formal order from Trump. It's just all on Twitter. And <laughs> Trump claimed that he spoke with his generals, but the generals don't know which generals he's talking about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, it, 
I don't know that too much is different. The Cash Ashley story is good to note, put a human face on some of these things, but also that aside from things that the Trump administration and Arkansas Republicans are actively doing to try to make it harder to be transgender and function openly in society, it's already pretty hard anyway. There aren't too many options available, even from something like the medical community, which is like fairly neutral, I guess, on a lot of these things. Yeah, and there was even a uh, survey released this year by a national transgender advocacy group that surveyed Arkansas transgender people about their experiences with discrimination. A lot of people cited work discrimination, high rates of homelessness as well. So I guess the takeaway from this is that Mm -hmm. the deck is sort of stacked against transgender people here in the state in, in a multitude of ways aside from the military directive. Yes. And now let's take a turn back to our favorite subject, row crop herbicide dispersal. (laughs) Okay, so uh, we've seen this story. Chris, you've been covering this a lot. And by the way, dear listeners, this will be Chris Hickey's possibly last podcast ever with us for KUARA's Week in Review. He's going on to greener, non-herbicide sprayed pastures for New York City to go to graduate school. So I'll miss you, Chris. Thanks for hosting your last time. Oh, yeah, no problem. All right, so let's get into the weeds on this one. (laughs) Okay, so we've got an issue that really sprung up in Arkansas with this Monsanto BASF-based herbicide that's sprayed on pigweed. It's something that farmers want out of their crops so they can grow soybeans unencumbered by these weeds. And uh, we've seen a whole bunch of other states in the past like week or two with you know dozens and dozens of complaints from farmers all over worried about this pesticide drifting onto their crops, which aren't necessarily resistant to it, damaging them. Yeah, and in fact, a number of Arkansas farmers have also joined in a lawsuit against Monsanto, BASF, and DuPont over damages caused by Dicamba recently. The estimate now is over 850,000 acres of soybeans and cotton damaged or other agricultural crops damaged by Dicamba sprayed on a genetically resistant variety of crop that's produced by Monsanto. But it has a tendency to drift or to at least move off target is the kind of terminology used by agronomists and farmers and damage non-genetically resistant crops of various sorts. And that could include Mm -hmm. fruit trees or watermelons or peanuts, perhaps even. I learned that a peanut is a legume the other day from KUAR's newest employee, your replacement, Daniel Breen. Oh, really? So we're gonna, we won't be too uh, gone on the crop circuit, hopefully, once you're gone. Yeah, we've got a, new, a fresh uh, perspective yeah, coming Sprout. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so, you know, it's a big issue. It's, un, it's unclear economically what this will mean mm-hmm. for the state. Certainly, there's some agronomists out there. I listened to testimony from one uh, former uh, University of Arkansas agronomist who still kind of follows the subject saying that crop losses for soybeans that are affected by dicamba drift could go from 25 to 50% of uh, yield lost. Man, what a bad year it's been for a lot of... Well, I guess we don't... There have been some... I don't know if it's been a bad year, but there have been bad things that have happened to Arkansas farmers this year. There's this, and then there's the natural disasters of all the Mm. flooding that happened that we talked about for several weeks about the crop insurance deadlines. Yeah, yeah. Luckily for 
farmers affected by flooding, they've got federal assistance that they can rely on to kind of repair some of the losses. Meanwhile, farmers are facing down these big agribusinesses who are basically saying, you know, really the problem is you guys. You guys aren't spraying the right way. You're not using the right nozzles. You're not doing this at the right height with the pesticide. You're doing it at the wrong temperature, time of day, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These are all reasons that companies like BASF and Monsanto have been giving. And I spoke with Kevin Bradley. He's a state extension weed scientist at the University of Missouri. Obviously not in Arkansas, I know, but Missouri has also been facing uh, well, widespread science problems. junk from Missouri. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but he wrote an article this week kind of breaking down this issue, this perception of reality divide between weed scientists from, that are mainly associated with states who tend to be you know, pretty neutral in a lot of matters, and also farmers on one side who are saying, you know, this pesticide inherently is a problem <laughs> uh, compared to uh, what he's seeing on the other side, which is industry saying, no, you guys really just need to step up your game and follow the directions more. Anyway, so I asked him in an interview over the phone, what explains this divide between the messaging of industry and the reality that farmers and agronomists are seeing in the fields? Here's what he had to say. It's somewhat baffling to me because we're all looking at the same thing. And so, you know, it's a little disappointing to see the denial and all of that. And I hope it's come to an end. And I hope maybe this little article maybe helped it come to an end. I don't know. I can't speak to that. But, uh, you know, I understand they have a stake. They have a tremendous stake here. They've invested millions and millions of dollars. But still, if we want to keep the technology in the field for the future, we're going to have to get past this thing and admit that there's something going on here and now work towards doing something about it. Now, Bradley had contacted agricultural officials in a lot of Midwest states and southern states kind of trying to get a number to how many acres of crops have been potentially damaged. He arrived at the figure of two and a half million, but when I talked to him, he said it's likely to be more because complaints were still coming in. And also there's like kind of underreporting of complaints also that he suspects is out there, including, he said, 850,000 acres of crops in Arkansas. So Arkansas has the most um, estimated crop damage of any other state uh, linked to dicamba. So I asked him why, why all this matters. We don't need this black eye. We've already received it, I believe, last year, and it's continuing on on a larger scale this year. That's just my opinion. It's not good for our reputation. A lot of people don't understand agriculture, the non-agriculture community already have some negative perceptions of things. And for us to be drifting on to, you know, whatever trees or, or vegetables or whatever, that's certainly not good. And the other thing is just simply we're trying to look at this, what's happening now on a small scale. It's not small, but I mean, if this technology continues and we don't make some changes, What's going to happen next year? Is it, you know, is it going to change from two and a half million to five million? Or at some point, we start really hurting our production. So, cause for concern, he says, by farmers and non-farmers alike. The Arkansas Plant Board and Agriculture Department is investigating over 700 complaints right now in Arkansas, 
and there's a temporary ban on dicamba instituted in the state. We'll see what other policies come about as a result of this problem. the uh, lovely voice of Arkansas's own Levon Helm there on the drums for the band and singing vocals on their classic hit from 1970, The Wait. Now, we've got some news for our Levon Helm fans here in the state. Arkansas native, of course. Yes, from the town of Turkey Scratch near Marvel in Phillips County, I believe. I think he was literally a dirt farmer. (laughs) <laughs> right. Well, he certainly left that profession uh, early on <laughs> in his life and, and moved to Woodstock, New York, where he uh, met up with some Canadian musicians and also Bob Dylan and some other people and released some classic hits over the last several decades until his death of throat cancer in 2011. Of course, many fans of Levon Helm here in the state, our own Michael Hiblin, news director here, spoke with uh, a couple of people who are organizing a effort to restore his boyhood home out there in Phillips County as an attraction, and also to construct a bust, some kind of one of those statues that where it's just the chest and the head and he's singing into a microphone. It's kind of weird looking, actually, because he has no arms in it, but to be placed uh, somewhere as a, a commemoration of the, the musician and his talents. A beautiful commemoration. Yeah, so that's the news there. <laughs> you, ever, uh, you ever care for him much? Oh, yeah, I love the band. I, I'm a big fan of their album with Dylan, The Basement Tapes, recorded up there in Woodstock. Mm-hmm. How about you, Jacob? Any Levon Helm moments you'd like to... Uh... I, my, I really like the Netflix documentary. It's really good. It's oh, uh, him yeah. in his older age, of course, going through the glory years, but uh, it takes him right through his cancer diagnosis and, and to the end of the movie. Yeah. It's really good. It's a good movie. All right. Well, um, we'll look forward, <laughs> forward to, uh, to hearing more about You know, what I, I, I'm kind of curious, like, what the... Max, you know, we always hear, I spoke with uh, the outgoing Delta Regional Authority Chair today, Chris Massengill, and he talked about tourism, you know, being a Delta thing they're trying to promote in the past decade or so. Mm-hmm. I've always wondered, like, what the max capacity is for, like, okay, so you've got Graceland, you've got Johnny Cash's house, you've got Levon, 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 Levon Helms' <laughs> house, you know, you've, you've got Clarksdale. If, if everybody who's was a famous rock or blues person from the Delta has a museum house, like, how could you possibly, like, there's so many places to go to. It seems like there's got to be a limit. You've got that Route 66 (laughs) Blues Highway, you know, Walnut Ridge claims Beatles fame. What, when does it end, you wonder? But this seems like a guy who... Why should it end? Yeah, well, because it's too much. (laughs) (laughs) But this might be a good one. You know, the band was like the most popular rock group in America for a number of years from, from, from America anyway, you know, and people know their songs now, of course. One of the people organizing the bust and the restoration of the home is named Anna Lee Amsden, who grew up with Helm in Phillips County and was also a friend of his later in life. And Anna Lee is the uh, person in the wait. She's referenced in Helm's lyrics. Well, Luke, my friend, what about young Anna Lee? 
he said, do me a favor, son. Won't you stay and keep Annalie company? So that's cool. Uh, yeah. So anyways, she's organizing this stuff. <laughs> that's, that's neat. Yeah. Uh, anyways, on to whatever. Chris, what was this is uh, your last full day or Sunday is at KUAR Public Radio. Yeah. Uh, what was the first story you ever did here? The first story? Uh, well, I know one of the first stories I did was, it was actually like two football-related stories. One was the hiring of the current Razorback football coach. Brett Bielema. Brett, Brett Bielema, yeah. Uh, and I remember like pulling a cut of uh, him and like the crowd, like calling the hogs. I was like... Anyways, and um, there is also, I think, the, the hiring of whatever football coach ASU hired that year also to replace now. Gus Malzahn yeah. or whatever. Yeah. All right, well, what's, what will be the last story you'll do? Well, I plan to do one utilizing those cuts I played from Mr. Bradley earlier on the Dicamba Whoa. issue. Whoa, sometimes the and Week in Review is the Week in Review, and sometimes it's The Week in Preview. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. So probably that. Also, maybe a story about marathon registration for the Little Rock Marathon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're sp- okay. Um, really last question. Reporting there. Sports reporting from you. Yeah. When you go to New York City, how are you going to describe your now forsaken homeland? Oh, well, you know, uh, it's nice. It's a nice place. No, it's, um, <laughs> you know, I think Arkansas... Certainly has a lot of positives, certainly has plenty of negatives too. But, you know, I think people in the in the area, at least in Little Rock, kind of care about their community and making it better. A lot of hardworking people here. Little Rock in particular has a lot of deficiencies, I'd say. I don't want to get into all of them, but I think that it has a lot of amenities that maybe other mid sized cities don't. You're talking possess. about like an alien outside observer. Do you like it? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I've called uh, Little Rock specifically uh, a home or a kind of base, home base <laughs> for the past six, the base is even more alien. Six, or <laughs> six or seven years. I don't know. I mean, you know, there's like a strong music community and stuff. And I think uh, Arkansas writ large in the national scene uh, gets a bad name a lot of times or like yeah. at least the national media tends to focus on all the the crazy, weird, bad stuff that happens. Sure. But, you know, I don't want to editorialize too much. That's fine. That's good. So. That's a good, good summation. Well, Chris, that's good. And uh, promise to come back on the podcast with us sometime via telephone and update us on how's it going. Okay. If you guys really want to do that, I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, we might. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, why don't we uh, wrap it up? Let's wrap up the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Here. Let's uh, let's That's take good. it out with some more Levon Helm music. Yeah, let's find one. Are you here. going to go up on a Cripple Creek? Uh, no, it's gonna get the uh, Annalise song or whatever from the later period. Take of, a load off Sally. Take a load for me. Yeah, no, not that one. You know, the, uh, this is from a live recording, 2011. All right, here we go. All right, thanks for listening to KUAR's Week in Review podcast, available to you each week from KUAR 
news and KUAR.org or wherever you get podcasts we're associated with but editorially independent from the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, which is our license holder. Thanks again. Have a good weekend. I'm Chris Hickey. I'm Jacob Kaufman. This are our children, a story I'll tell of a woman they call Annalee. She had a fine son and she raised him up well and a daughter as lovely as she. I'll return to you, dear, in the dimming of day as the sparrow returns to her nest. I'll return to you, dreaming with each love of mine. Hold your sweet weary Sing to her darlings a sweet lullaby as the evening shadows grow long. Angels and nightingales gathering night to hear Mother Annalie's song. I'll return to you, dear, in the dimming. Turn to you, dreaming with each love of mine.